Is that sounding better? Oh, yeah, much better. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, brilliant. Good, yeah, a bit sleepy. Didn't sleep well. I think it's the lack of any light at all this morning. Yeah, I didn't sleep well last night either. Neither did my daughter. I wonder whether there's some sort of, uh, yeah, strange energy happening at the moment. It's like when the weather changes, doesn't it? It's kind of... Stops you sleeping. I don't know what it is. Are you happy to just get stuck in with the conversation? Yeah, I was listening to your Sabrina Bramble one um, yesterday. Oh, excellent. So I, I, I kind of know her on Instagram. Um, she does so many interesting things. Do you have a similar uh, kind of long to-do list of side projects? Because you, you seem to juggle a fair few things as well. So I think you've caught me at a moment when I've had sort of 10 days of work, a kind of almost put to bed. I've got a, a bit of teaching this afternoon. And I've got a panel on mm-hmm. Sunday, but those are small things. They're fine. Um, yeah, some sometimes I've like sets of two weeks, which are like, oh, that's a lot of work. But then it'll earn me a decent amount of money. And then I can kind of relax. It's like, yes, it's not quite feast and famine, but it's like overeating. And mm. then um, <laughs> saying no to seconds, maybe. <laughs> How do you feel in those moments where there isn't some work around are you, you kind of embracing the the calm and the quiet or is it oh my god i need to find the next yeah, thing i've really calmed down with the oh my god i need to find the next thing and so when i first went freelance it was april 2018 and i definitely i mean for mm. definitely a year and a half i was almost glued to the laptop so my background's in journalism and i'd come out of a staff job at the daily mirror where i was training journalists as well as doing the journalism people were referring training to me immediately so I knew I had that and that 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 can pay quite well and I was aware that writing doesn't pay well but that was what I wanted to go freelance for but in order to find the the writing work that's what made me go a bit kind of chain myself to my laptop so it's this feeling of you've got to be there to see the um twitter call outs from the editors and get there first because they get two million emails or you've got to be in these facebook groups and then there's a call out there and you've got to be and then that sort of that must have flicked a switch in me that's like, right, everything goes out the window in order to get work. This is what I have to do. And it's it's not he- healthy at all. So is that something you're actively uh, considering now when you when you aren't working? It's like, I don't need to be on the Twitter. I don't need to be on the Facebook group. So I'm going to give myself some space to, to rest. Definitely. So what I try to do with those call outs. So there are some great newsletters by um, other freelancers who probably have a different kind of brain to me where they can comb Twitter and they do look for these call outs and they put them in a newsletter mm. and sometimes they ask for payment and sometimes not. And I think, look, this is a job. Thank you for doing it. You know, I'll pay if you want me to. <laughs> and so what I do yeah. is sort of take um, contact details of editors, put them away in a draft email and think that they're going to get a billion emails from that call out. Maybe I've got an, mm. um, an idea for them in a, you know, a few weeks. And sometimes, yeah, I've gone to them in a few weeks and their budget has gone, right? What can you do? Like media's yeah. in turmoil, but just, um, I've got to calm down and gone, even if I get to them first, that's no guarantee. I have to just relax. And then the other thing is another kind of writing I wanted to do when I went freelance is to get into comedy. And so this year I've kind of got into comedy and, actually managed to find work in that area so again that's like off you that's another revenue stream maybe I can like go from one to the other see where there's work and I can just relax a bit more and plan a bit more I suppose. How do you find switching between the different mental modes of being a comedy writer and then more of a journalist tech and 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 then the training side of things do you find that easy to switch between different types of thinking? I think I need to like I write my week out ahead in my diary so I kind of know so it's like that morning is training and in an ideal world I'd work from home in the morning probably co-working space in the afternoon or meetings in the afternoon that's how it used to be 
before the plague. Um, now I've, I've found about three locations within this flat. I've basically got desk in my room, kitchen, and they're trying to do a standing desk situation. And then right now I've got the sofa. And it's it's a question of having like different kinds of mini, like laptop tables and like those things are worth it. They're worth it because then you can move. And um, I find a different location gets me into the mentality of like, right now I'm doing this. That really helps. I remember reading a couple of years ago that apparently doorways have this um, psychological effect on you. So going through a doorway changes you from like one context to another, which apparently is why, you know, when you are going into the kitchen to like find something and you get into the kitchen, you're like, what am I here to do? So there's there's proper science which backs up that moving around into different spaces helps you shift into a different way of thinking. And, it, and it's, um, that sounds so correct because you think of your commute and all the different kind of doorways and different kind of spaces you move through and how that gets you ready for work. Like you might be, I'm, I'm listening to a lot of audio books and podcasts and that's what I would do on my commute. And then once you get there, you're like, you're ready. Whereas we, we miss out on that. And also just the incidental exercise, like you forget. I was um, working Canary Wharf and I live up like near Kilburn. So I had quite like a commute. It was a lot of it sitting on the Jubilee line, but there's stairs and there's this and that and the other. And you just don't get those steps in. And that has an effect on you as well. Like, I had to really look at exercise. And it's just a block of time as well. It's actually quite a useful part of the day. I always found it's like, oh, this is when I do my reading. I have 45 minutes in the morning for you. And I'm just not doing that as much now. Yeah, so there's an element of choice, uh, which we just mentioned in terms of children, but it's adults as well. If you give someone an entire day and go do anything you want, that's almost a punishment. You're like, no, I need structure. <laughs> and so it falls yeah. to you yourself, right, to find that structure. And mentally, it's incredibly important. So how are you feeling about lockdown two as we kind of stand on the precipice of, of going into another set of restrictions? Just for me on a personal level, just really resigned. Uh, there's not much I can do to change the situation. I'm quite good at acknowledging that I can't change the situation. So what can I do to make it okay? It's probably not too different from freelancing, except I can't go to a second location. Now you host your own podcast and you have conversations with many different freelancers just tell us about um freelance pod and and why you started that journey yeah so that was november 2018 i've been freelance for six months and i will say that i was getting to the point where i was really unsure if freelancing was the right thing for me it's a third redundancy i'd had in eight years because journalism right so it wasn't necessarily an active choice to become freelance something i'd wanted to do freelancing so there was a level of active choice um it was quite hard to walk away from a salary in all the years that I had a salary. So in a way, I did quite welcome that particular redundancy. But then also every time I made redundancy, I say that as though it happens all the time. In my career, it has happened quite often. But I get, it still has an effect on you. It's, I think there's still something underlying there that you've got to give time. That you know, There's some hurt there. There's a feeling of you know, all these people I was friends with, you realise that Work friendships, you only find out later if they depended on the fact that you bump into each other for a cup of tea and that's the strength of it. Or because you work for the same organisation. Like I keep in touch with people and they tell me the minutiae of office stuff. And when I was in the office, I would have lapped it up. I was like, oh, no, you're, no, you can't tell me they're saying that. But now when you leave, you realise there's a bigger world and you're, you just don't have the same friendship. So I remember listening to Sabrina Bramble's episode yesterday. She said she loves her own company. And I think a lot of us do who do freelancing, but then... I think it's hard to to see the line over which it gets unhealthy. There's all human beings, definitely company. And when you go from, you know, entire office full of people that you knew to just yourself, I think 
if I was, you know, I like my own company, I can entertain myself, but that's almost worse because I didn't know how to then help myself and say, right, I actually need to build in company. So this, it was a bit like having phone calls with people. I was like, maybe I can ask some advice. And then also it's a way of me making sure I'm having sort of conversations in the week. And then it, yeah, so that was kind of, it was kind of self-help and I wanted to sit creative. And I'd made a podcast at the Daily Mirror. I couldn't take it with me when I left, which is kind of standard. And um, I, I missed making one because it's quite a nice community, the podcast community. It's very friendly. In the conversations which you have with with other freelancers and, and talking on the podcast, is, is mental health and well-being something which is a common topic of conversation when you're speaking to other people? It certainly seems to be higher up the agenda generally for the past few years. So I think with Freelance Pod, when I started speaking to people, the, um, the shift, the emphasis kind of changed and it could have been to do with how I was feeling about freelancing and the kind of stories I needed to hear. So it became more um, mm. the journey from the analogue to the digital, like the comparison between the two. So some people have worked in newspapers since the 80s, and so they have these great stories. Some people are very young, but then have come into newsrooms and creative offices, which have been formed and built by people from the analogue era and not built for... Because yeah. nothing's been built for the internet. We didn't know what the internet would be. And so I'd say that I'm, I'm very hands-off in terms of interviewing, and I really... I sort of just want to hear stories. So if they if they go into places where they talk about emotional mental health or um, like how they got through something, I leave it to them to to tell that story and mm. to tell it to their comfort level. Um, so then it ends up. So I end up taking my voice out of the podcast quite a lot. And it ends up being a sort of audio profile of them in their own words. I somehow yep. they feel classic journalist question right. Um, are they honest or is it the classic, yeah, I'm fine, how so are you? So interviewing journalists is really interesting. They're not used to being interviewed. They're used to being the interviewer. And I think they can, fo- yeah, yeah and like they find it quite difficult. And I've had quite a few saying like, oh, am I rambling? I feel like I'm rambling, which for me is gold. Like that's mm-hmm. where the good stuff is. But I think for them, it feels like a lack of, a loss of control. This podcast is about breaking news. It's about someone feeling comfortable enough to share the stories that they want to share. So I think, yeah, I think people still do find it difficult to talk about mental health. I think within journalism as well, it's, you know, journalism has this kind of like live fast, die young mentality still, still has it. Um, right. How many hours have you done? I'm not, I'm not saying these are my interviewees. I'm saying more from my experience in newsrooms. There's this yeah. pride to having done 10 hours when your shift was only eight. There's this pride to having done mm. eight stories when you only meant to do six. And you're probably not paid overtime. I think it's because it's hard to stand out in the in the early years of a journalistic career now because you don't get to go and interview someone. So how do you stand out? There can be a pride in doing really long hours, in working on difficult stories, in having worked long hours to break a story. And I think within journalism, there are conversations around we need to look after ourselves, look after each other. When you when you see kind of um, graphic, violent content, which happens all the time. You know, my, one of my earliest jobs at Associated Press, I remember it was like 20, it was towards the end of my time there, but it was when Gaddafi was sort of in his last days. And they asked me to find footage of like, you know, the stuff that led up to his death, which was almost like torture. It was horrible. But there were people higher up than me that I'd give that content to. And so they were watching really intense stuff like that all the time. And so I think there is a bit of a mental health bomb kind of in journalism. And people are talking about it, but very generally it's a case of like, I'm going to get on with it. I'm, I'm resilient. Um, 
there's there's a toughness sometimes it's seen as like the idea of what journalists should be in a, in a newsroom if you're seeing other journalists and fellow colleagues every day you have those relationships and perhaps it's easier to have some of those conversations and find those bonds shifting out of the newsroom and being a freelancer do you how do you find those bonds when you don't have somebody that you're sitting next yeah, to yeah it's, it's really different um because I think what you talk about as well as I mentioned you, you're not in the office you don't have that kind of the second by second play of what's going on because you're physically not there what's great and I didn't I didn't know because I didn't know what freelance would be like there are so many communities and groups to join as a freelancer like everyone else gets it that it's really just a question of finding which ones you feel really comfortable in and which ones you naturally find yourself just sitting in and not because of work opportunities because that conversation gives you something I will say there are some great like freelance groups where you can see people have discussions and and they become friends and I found the community I found really great is the London Writer Salon so they um run this thing called Writer's Hour three times a day um 8 a.m London time 8 a.m like New York time or like east coast and atm west west coast yes and you have the zoom call for an hour you say what you're going to do in that hour in the zoom chat cheers with a cup of tea whatever and then you get writing so in a sense um i'm working on a book and these are like morning pages if you do the atm one and then i'm going to do the 1 p.m one today because i'm going to write my newsletter today there's also 4 p.m which i haven't been to because that's not like blood sugar wise that's not my best part of the day I don't think anyone is but I think it's great that then the Americans then get like at least one hour and they also so all of that's free and then at some point and um, they've got a patron and stuff and you can pay and they've got a slack group and I found that like quite a community freelancers understand particularly seasoned ones they understand it gets lonely and um just having a chat with someone on slack can change how your hour is going, how that how that day is going. So it's worth doing. You mentioned the training aspect of the work which you do and also the shifting landscape of media, increased uh, move to digital and, and kind of always on publishing, but also uh, so many journalists having to move to multi-channel, multi-format kind of reporting. Uh, as an individual, rather than somebody who's running training, how do you make sure that you're always on top of what the next thing is coming and what the next capability you need to be thinking about might I mean, be. That's the question, isn't it? Who trains the trainer? And I think that's a real problem. And the answer probably is I'm probably not entirely on top. I remember um, when I was in my old job at the Daily Mirror, I'd be like, so can I get some training? Should I, should I do some training? What should I? What? And then also the flip side would be a boss would say to me like, oh, can you train Facebook Lives? Never done one, but can you though? Like maybe in a couple of weeks? okay and that was quite good actually um and I, I make that I make that like conversation sound as though there's tons of pressure there wasn't they'll be like cool we'll find someone to help you there'll be a social media team you can sit with like there's there are people with so many kinds of expertise that there'll be someone who can help me and so what what was good about it was that that role as the trainer was almost like being a freelance or like being a consultant within an organization um with the amazing kind of positive of salary and so I'd be like, right, I've just got to figure this out. Um, and that that has been helpful for my job as a freelancer. It's like, let's take this risk. It might fail. I don't know. But let's read up on it, ask people, and then let's just go and do a Facebook Live and see if it works or not. And so I think that's helpful. Just like, do you know what, actually? So over lockdown, perhaps a bit less so for things like social media and other things where I've been practising them and been doing them in a professional sense, as in um, even as a freelancer, 
when um when my piece will go out the editors don't have to tell you you have to keep an eye but i'll like, make sure it goes across all of my social so i feel like that's the last bit of the job and then i'll keep an eye on those stats actually and just think right did i put it out at the right time did i sell it in the right way and like the person who's paid me for my freelance writing they don't care but for me i want to see if i'm if i'm getting it right so i still still care about those experiments i suppose in terms of how i market my work um that's your feedback isn't it because if, if the editor's not giving you post-publishing feedback because they've already done that piece um it's whether consumers and readers are reacting to it positively i guess that's the thing it's my kind of audience analysis isn't it and i, I don't yeah. blame editors i've seen fifty thousand unread emails hundred thousand unread emails i think for an editor <laughs> like um freelancers sometimes feel a bit um hurt i feel like it's personal but i think that you've now got a situation which is great whereas journalism's opened up there are fewer gatekeepers and this is a good thing but yeah. anyone anywhere in the world who's fluent in english can can email that editor like, that must be overwhelming that must be huge so i'm much i'm much less um invested in that in those sorts of pitches in that way like i'll, I'll pitch simultaneously see what comes back but i'll always have other work going do you think it's um it's a, a surprise to many people when they're moving into freelancing not just in journalism and writing but that they they're not just going to get to focus on what they love doing the the craft part of their role but they also have to do the pitching and the selling and the chasing up and the marketing and all the stuff around I suppose it, it depends on what kind of job they had before um but I imagine it kind of is and just the unpaid time that goes into it and because for every pitch that doesn't hit that doesn't get you paid work see I'm starting to see that just it's like is that a useful cost for me and I've really detached myself from the feeling of Oh, but writing, it's the most glorious thing in the world. Yes, it is, but there are many avenues. Like I've got a newsletter, the comedy stuff helps. But um, is it, I think it's about, again, like not taking it personally and just thinking, look, I've got to try and reach my audience and build it and try and stand out. So let's use all of these tools. Um, no editor's just ignoring me on purpose. Especially with COVID, um, my work just, in terms of writing, just disappeared. And I'd say a lot of freelancers would say that. Because um, the first thing a news organisation would do is kind of pull the freelance budget and spend it in-house and make sure their own writers have enough writing to do. And so I just looked at that and thought, I, I will need to make sure I've got other ways of making a living. So you think that diversity of, of uh, income streams and types of work is really critical? To I, you? I kind of knew I would have to when I went freelance. That's why, right. that's why I knew the training would be really valuable. Because interestingly, I think... Um, sometimes sometimes people ask me why I'd taken that trainer job as though a trainer was a step down as though I'd kind of given up on journalism and I found that really interesting that people start you look down on the role and I was like this is an incredible role I train everyone from the, the newbie who's 22 and straight out of uni to the editor-in-chief um I have a reason to be in every room everywhere all the time and um when I left, I was hoping this and it, it did happen that people were like oh yes yeah, a challenge because she trained everything in the mirror you should get us to do your social media, get us to do your... So people came to me for training almost immediately. It always had to be like a part of a career where, yes, I'm going to focus on writing, um, but it doesn't pay to live for... It doesn't pay for a life in London these days. Also, training is storytelling. So I tend to look for, like, well, what's the thing I really love? It doesn't exist in all the things I'm doing. It's not like I'm down a coal mine trying to tell you know, story tell down there <laughs> this is a very first world privileged situation so where can i find the things i love in everything i do so i would say that training for me has always been some level of storytelling 
slash it's also it's clearly a performance um so many teachers become stand-ups and so when I started stand-up this year and when I started doing comedy I was like there's so many things I've been doing already it just wasn't officially called comedy I think it's fascinating how you see that red thread through all the work you do it comes back to fundamentally about storytelling and and making connections and when you think about it that elevated piece then suddenly oh there's a whole load of other things which I had never thought about which don't classically pop up when you think journalist or writer but there's a whole load of other avenues which could add a whole load of extra facets to the type of work which you do yeah I think what we've had now is that everyone can self-publish now that is an absolutely fascinating development in the history of the world that wasn't true in like 1997 let's say the fact that everyone can publish means that everyone wants the skills of what we thought only only journalists had these skills before, and now everyone wants them. And I think that's a good thing. Everyone should have the means of production. And in in teaching those things, like for instance, with podcasting, there's a workflow, and you can call it a workflow, and everyone like falls off sleep, like, oh god, the word workflow. Or you can think of it as a story. Like, how do you begin this story? What do you need? What do you want to do? Because podcasting in particular is such a blend of like technical stuff but also editorial type stuff and kind of mental stuff. Like, why are you doing this? Because if it's kind of jumping on a bandwagon, it's a lot of time and effort. I'm not sure getting what you want. But if it's genuinely like spirit of inquiry, like I want to exercise much creativity and just see where it gets me, then we've got something. Then you've already told yourself the story of why you're doing it. And that's a story I can work with. So let's go. So I think everything is storytelling and it's finding it in the form that you enjoy in all the bits of work that you do. What advice would you give to freelancers, particularly journalists and and writers, in in regards to investing in their own training and development and and learning new skills? This this should have been the worst year in history to start comedy, right? I have great timing. I have great timing. Um, But what I found is, obviously, comedians are having a really tough time. Um, But they're going online and they're doing workshops and they're running their own online comedy gigs. And so I've actually been to loads of workshops, so many for free as well, that around writing one-liners, writing sketches, writing topical comedy. And so there's there's a lot more training out there just because people can switch on a laptop and go, I'm gonna I'm gonna offer this. And there's lots of other freelance journalists, you know, offering stuff around newsletters and um, personal essays and. podcasting and so training might not be going on a week's course you know because for freelancers conferences and week-long courses are not priced for us they're priced for businesses but I think you you're going to see like a one-hour course online a cheeky little workshop and I don't just see that as you're paying for one hour you are yes but you're also paying to have met that trainer who could be a really useful contact you've paid yeah like follow them on twitter see see you know what they're up to chat to them a bit and then you're paying to have met the other people in the group as well who you never know someone is a future collaborator there's someone in there who loves producing podcasts and you've got an idea for one like you just don't know who you might meet so you can do that sitting on your sofa while having a bad day um it could be something to structure yeah. your day around as we mentioned <laughs> at the start that structure so i'd say there's loads of training out there um look on Eventbrite and have fun with it and just always think that every time you log on to one of those it might take 10 times to log into it it's always fun but it's an opportunity you're actually you're meeting new people and your face is there for other people to see also I think people are quite generous at heart like if they know how easy it is for them to lose their income which so many people have learned this year that they kind of don't particularly wish that on anyone else and they would happily help 
So I think look for those workshops, look, you know, for the hour long, two hour long. That could change how you view, how you use social media, for instance. Because um, that's what it takes. It's it's a mindset change more than needing to understand everything about Google Analytics. And investing in yourself as well, right? It's it's saying actually, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that hour to to help develop my own career because you don't have that HR team who's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, right, you need to go on this training, or you don't have somebody say, hey, can I go on a course? It's it's down to you to invest in your own. Exactly, thing. yeah. And I'd say a weird um, positive of lockdown is that more people are trying their hand at training. More people are going right, I'd be scared of standing up in front of a room, but I'll try it on Zoom. And they found, great, this this was, this was worked out. So I'd say there's probably more stuff out there for people involved in like freelance writing, social media, um, digital storytelling type things. There's, there's a lot out there from really great trainers, from people who do fantastic work. So see this as a boom time in a weird way because those people are not able to go outside. <laughs> And this is their outlet. And, uh, and do, do you know what? If you've got some expertise, why don't you try some training? Because it's very affirming of yourself. It's good for your self-esteem to have been able to train other people. And you don't have to know something inside out. I, I've, I've said I don't know a billion times. And my favourite time that I was wrong, which has been many times, is um, I did some training at 11am on kind of Facebook and just like using different social media um, to market your work and um someone said i'm really sorry people were people's very sorry very timid but um, facebook had an algorithm change at 9 a.m and i was like brilliant that's amazing there goes my slide and you just <laughs> you just have to laugh it's hilarious like that's the nature of digital someone somewhere in silicon valley possibly has pressed a button the entire system has changed suddenly sweets and quote tweets rather than whatever they were called before and you just have to roll with it like someone has more info than you that's not the end of the world. What they've come to hear from you is the fact that you've taken experience, you can make it a story, I'd say, and that you can talk them through it. Such wonderful insight and wisdom. Thank you for sharing today. I really appreciate it. What's the rest of the year in store for you? More uh, stand-up or is it sit-down comedy if you're doing <laughs> it via Zoom? I was very lucky that um, with the comedy stuff, I loved it. And it took me so long to finally do it because I'd always dreamed of doing it. That when it was like, oh, actual physical lockdown, <laughs> like I can't do it anymore. And number one, it was hilarious. But um, I put myself into a competition uh, for stand-up, which kind of made, meant that I had to do an online gig at one point. It's called the Funny Women uh, Sage Award competition. And then mm-hmm. I ended up getting to semi-finals and they called me one of their ones to watch, which is lovely. And I think that's, that's it's incredible. And it, I think it's really helpful on that side as someone who's very new to comedy to have to have that kind of badge is um, very helpful and really lovely. And on the other side, um, I'm doing a bit of comedy writing. I've got some Radio 4 stuff. So I was writing on the news quiz a little while ago and hoping to do more of that kind of stuff. But what's great about those things is you can try and do it for an organisation like the BBC, but you can also just do it for yourself. So I'd come up Mm. with um, a second set, hoping like, the last lockdown would have actually ended and I could go back to gigging again. And it's about how Hindus work under lockdown because we were trying to organise a Hindu for my friend. And yet the whole point of Hindus is that you're there together drinking and all of yeah. that. And so I had this set, obviously you can't do anything about it. And um, I then needed to make a video, like a comedy video quite quickly because someone wanted to profile me and put me on their website, which is all about comedians. So I changed that set into just the phone call I'd have with the 
person whose company hires out the strippers because the <laughs> right the yep. point of the set is how do you have a stripper under lockdown? It seems very dangerous yep. for everyone. And actually, <laughs> well, no it, touching though. I mean, two ex- meter rule, surely. Exactly, exactly. All of this. <laughs> And if you do that, the problem is, like, very generally, most people live with their partners before they get married, which is exactly mm. what the friend in question. So basically, her and her husband <laughs> to be will be attending a hen do with a stripper. Now, that is yep. a brilliant scenario. I love it. And all the hens are like, I, I can't be there. So I made that into a phone call and then I made a video and then it could be part of this um, this profile. So I think, again, just take from that, like, when something seems like, oh, God, I can't do this out of my reach, it's new, I don't know what to do. You've got stuff there already. Just, like, pivot it slightly and just think, like, well, if it was slightly different, will that work? Like, you've probably got the knowledge, you've probably got the information, you've probably got the access. Just um, just think about it a bit laterally. Reframing thoughts, I think, is a really, really powerful technique and that's a brilliant place to end. So thank you so much for your time and your insights today. And I'm so looking forward to seeing what happens with the stripper at the Hindu. Um, but have a wonderful afternoon. I mean, how are those guys doing? Are they making an income? Anyway. <laughs> That's a podcast in its own Worried right. about them. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. lovely to speak to you. And uh, yeah, I hope your daughter's are okay at school. It looks like it's going to rain more. Uh, we'll, we'll, it's fine. It's winter. We're British. We'll crack on. This was No More Water Cooler, a podcast from Leapers, supporting the mental health of the self-employed. If you're looking for a community of peer support, tangible resources and content that helps, or just fancy a cup of coffee with a friendly group of people, join the team for people without a team at www.leapers.co or search Leapers Community. Our production assistant is Stephanie Resort. Our title music was composed by Matt Dobson and I'm Matthew Knight. And until next week, work well.